I appreciate Bob turning his phone off silent. Um, I did think there was a real need for panic yesterday morning when that, that went off. But, um, but it's really just good to be here with you all. Good to see so many people that, that I know that I haven't seen in a long time. And just uh, look forward to being able to visit with you afterwards. If you want to go ahead and open your Bibles to Acts chapter 19, that's where we're going to be. We're going to be in Acts 19 for, for tonight. And just to kind of give you a little bit of uh, backstory and help you understand what we're going to be talking about in case you weren't here yesterday, we are going through Paul's third missionary journey and trying to pull out lessons on being disciples. So we're not looking at every single detail in Paul's third missionary journey. And some of the things we're going to talk about, this might be a strange place to talk about these subjects. For instance, tonight we're going to talk about discouragement. Um, I know in the prayer we said, we hoped we would be encouraged, um, and I hope this is an encouragement, but what we're going to talk about is preparing for discouragement as disciples, because discouragement does come. This might be a strange place we would go to, to draw that point out, but I, th I think it actually makes a lot of sense, and I hope that you'll agree as we get into this. Something else that was said in the prayer, um, talked about just kind of the world that we live in. We, we, we say things like that, and we pray about that. We pray that the world will be different. We pray that we will be lights in this world, knowing that it's a wicked and dark world. Um, and, and we just have to accept that's true. I'm not going to tell you that's, that's not true. The one thing I will say is that when we talk about the world being so dark that like, it's never been darker than it is now, I would caution us to say that might not be true. Let's read in Acts 19. So Paul is in Ephesus. In verse 20, it says that the word of the Lord prevails mightily. So there's a lot of good things going on. People are coming to the Lord. People are confessing Christ. What we just talked about last night was here in the last few verses before we get to verse 20, is you have these believers that are confessing and divulging their sinful ways, their magical arts and things like that. And they're saying, hey, this is wrong. We shouldn't be doing this. And we know that now. And they start burning all their books and they're, they're just... It's, it's a wonderful reason for rejoicing. Uh, you have people that were sinning that are no longer sinning. They're, they're giving that up. They're turning the back on, on those old ways. You have a lot of people who they did not even know about this Jesus are now proclaiming he is the Christ, he is the Son of God, and they're committing their life to him. Well, now let's pick up in verse 21. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia, and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. So this is, this is his plan. I'm going to go here, I'm going to go here, eventually I'm going to go to Rome. Um, it kind of happens that way, not exactly the way Paul thought, but he still makes it to Rome. Having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. So he's staying in Ephesus, but maybe he is going to a couple of different areas around, or maybe he's just having a lot of people from the area come to him. But there's a problem that arises in verse 23. It says, About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia 
and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged. They were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with a confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him go. Even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. That's kind of a crazy situation. They don't even know why they're there, but they're just yelling. And I mean, we've all been there, uh, probably in sporting events. Sometimes you don't even know what people are yelling about. You look down, check your phone or something, but you know people are booing, so you start joining. I mean, it seems like that's what's going on here. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. All right, we'll stop there. Okay, so all these people start to forsake their false gods, their old ways, their sinful practices. They're committed to Christ. This has a negative impact on people. The word of God spreading ne- negatively affects some people. That's one thing that we see here. And it just does. It affects this guy Demetrius so much that he's like, hang on, hang on. We got, we got, to, we got to stop this. This is really going to hurt business. This is going to change our whole way of life. And our great goddess, goddess Diana, your translation might say, or Artemis, I mean, well, she's actually going to be lessened. People aren't going to look at her the way that we think they should anymore. This is not good. Um, I happen to think that Demetrius might not care as much about Artemis, and he probably cares more about his, his dollar, and cares more about the money going out of his, he didn't have a bank account, but out of, out of his hand. Um, I think that's probably more of what his motivation is, but still, he stirs up this crowd, and everyone's like, yeah, that's right. Now, now Ephesus was known as the hub of this goddess, okay? So people travel from all over the Roman Empire to come to Ephesus specifically for this temple to Artemis, apparently. Um, this is a really good uh, business for the whole town, for the whole city. Um, so imagine if people from other places come to this temple, and what they start seeing is that it's not as full as it once was. Not as many people in Ephesus are coming to this temple. It seems like things aren't going very well. Maybe there's some extra cobwebs or something like that in the temple. I don't know. But, but just imagine how that would just be shameful for them. They would feel like something's wrong. So this is, we got to stop this. This is not going to be good for us. So he stirs up a lot of people and they all listen. Not maybe not all of them, but a lot of people listen. And what he appeals to is a few things. I want to point those things out because I think these are the same things that, that we see today that really appeal to us. There's three main things I think that he points out about why they should care about people becoming Christians and God's word spreading and being successful. Verse 25, he says, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. Do you know people that will get frustrated and offended and maybe um, very aggravated, maybe even willing to fight because their wealth starts going away? I think so. I I think we all know that happens. That's the first thing. The second thing and the third thing are, all, are both in verse 27. He says that this trade of ours may come into disrepute. So apparently these people that have been working with these, these temples, with these um, like trinkets or whatever they were making, these idols for Artemis, 
Well, they've been well-respected. Well, now they're not going to be as respected. Now our craft, our work is not going to be as admired. We're not going to have the influence that we once had. When people feel that, they, they'll, they'll be willing to take up arms to fight. And the third thing is also in verse 27. He says that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and she may even be deposed of her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. All right, so if you were someone that had wealth from, um, from this, this trade, from these idols, then he's just really spoken to your heart, and he's, he stirred you up. If you're someone who, you, you don't really care about that necessarily, but you care about respect, and you care about people admiring you and just your influence over people, well, he's just spoken to you, and, and now you're stirred up. Maybe you don't care about any of that. You, you don't get your business from that. You're just a farmer or something in the area. I don't know what it could be, but you don't really care about that, but you really care about Artemis. Like, this goddess means a lot to you. You believe you are where you are because of this goddess. What Demetrius has just said speaks to you and stirs you up. Do you know people today that feel the same way? Maybe not because of Demetrius or Artemis or any actual false god, but some sort of identity, some sort of thing that they just latch on to. See, our beliefs and our lives will affect people today, or they should. If we're truly being a disciple that is convict, convicted and committed to learning of Jesus and following him, like we talked about yesterday, where we live changed lives, we're humble people just trying to pattern ourselves after Christ, who we believe is the Son of God. But we will have an, ef an effect on people around us. And sometimes it's a really good effect, but sometimes it's not. Now, I've never been in a situation where there's um, a lot of people that start becoming Christians or being swayed to be believers, and then there's someone who says, hang on, we've got to stop this. I I've never been in that situation. But what I have seen, um, maybe not live with my very eyes, but I've, I've seen videos and I've, I've heard of this kind of thing where as soon as people start being swayed about maybe not buying into a certain thought or teaching, um, that you can be whatever you want to be, that you are your own God, basically, that it's all about getting yours and just rising to the top and getting the most you can out of life. Um, people start like not believing in that. Now people have a problem. A lot of hashtags get, get made because people start not buying into these things. And it's like, well, we got to stir people up, right? We got we to we fight this. This is not good. This is not right. So maybe we see it differently. Um, I don't consider myself a political person. So this is not a political thing. This is, this is a Christian thing. This is a disciple thing. Um, when we live our lives the way we should, this will happen, especially today especially the more vocal we are, especially when our sense of morality seems so different from other people around us. A lot of people have to change things on their LinkedIn profiles. They have to change things on the bottom of their emails. And if they're not, then they're the ones that stand out. And if you don't know what I mean, then you work in a place that you probably feel lucky to work there. <laughs> um, but that happens. And, and you stand out and you're like, okay, what's gonna happen to me? The truth is you don't know. You might be ostracized. People might talk about you. They're probably not going to rush at you and say, great is Artemis, but they're probably going to take it out on you in some way. See, that, that's what I'm classifying as discouragement. And that's probably a very tame word to, de, to describe what we're talking about. But it's discouragement. It's, it's punishment. It's, it's, um, it's persecution. It's rejection. 
And we have to be prepared for that as Christians. So what I want to do is I want to spend the rest of our time uh, tonight just taking some lessons from the rest of Acts 19 and also from the Gospel of John to say this is, these are things we need to do as Christians today to be ready to be discouraged. So not to be ready to be discouraged, but like to be ready for discouragement so that we are not discouraged and also to be committed to our path, our walk. We're following Christ faithfully. One thing that's very interesting as well in uh, Acts 19, before we go to the next section to finish this chapter, is look at verse 26. So we don't have Paul saying this quote, but Demetrius seems like he's quoting from Paul here. He says, you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people. So what, what's Paul saying? Gods made with hands are not gods. That's true. Gods made with hands are not gods. But that is the thing that they latch on to that allows them to stir up people to chase the Christians out of town. There are certain things that we might believe in, that we might say, that is not meant to be an attack on someone. It's just the truth. And when we say it, they'll latch on to that and say, you see what they're saying? They're saying that there's only one way to be saved. <laughs> well, yeah, we, we say that's Jesus and that's it. He said he's the way. I'm just saying what Jesus said. He said it, though. And then they'll start stirring up people around us. Um, or maybe it's some sort of moral issue that we believe that we just need to say, this is just truth. And we can't cave on that. Okay, well, they'll latch on to that. Without you having to make a big stink of it, they'll make a big stink of it for you. And then here comes the discouragement. Here comes the, the rallying against us. Those are things we need to be ready for. So let's continue in Acts chapter 19. Let's read the rest of this chapter. Let's see what happens. Beginning of verse 35. When the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky. Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are our proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it should be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. When he said these things, he dismissed the assembly. All right. If you were hoping for the end of this chapter to be like, yes, and Paul is right. There are no gods made with hands. Well, we don't get that in this chapter. Um, we don't get like a good, wonderful ending to this what we get is we get this guy, the town clerk, which I thought was kind of a nothing position. I'm sorry if someone here, there's, there's a town clerk. Um, but apparently in these days, you had like three different forms of town clerks or, or scribes, if you will. Another, another word for this would be a scribe. And the town clerk was kind of pretty, pretty high up, was in charge of the public assemblies and, and really had a voice in this, in this community. So he stands up and says, well, hold on, hold on. Okay, here's a couple things we know. We, we, know, we know Artemis is real. And we know that stone fell from the sky. These things can't be denied. And here's the interesting thing he says. These people aren't blaspheming Artemis. They're not guilty of that. 
See, I would assume that Paul was guilty of that. I would have assumed that that's what led to this riot, is that he was talking bad and just totally blasting Artemis and, or Diana and just saying she's nothing and just, you know, laying out all these things and just, but apparently not. Because he, he says, they're not sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. So he says, so if you have a problem, then that's going to have to be settled somewhere else. This is not the place for this. In fact, if we keep going, we're all going to be in trouble, okay? Rome is going to come down hard on us. So we need to break this up. We need to stop this. So he dismissed everyone. They go home. All right, we know that our beliefs and lives will affect people today. I'm going to give you two things that we should not do when we prepare for discouragement, and then four things that we should do. Um, I'm going to try to be clear and concise, just like our brother prayed for so here are the two things we need to not do as we prepare for discouragement in the culture we live in today. The first thing is that we should not compromise beliefs to save people discomfort, even if that discomfort is for ourselves. This is not something we need to do. We should not compromise our beliefs. We should not compromise what we know is true, that Jesus is the Christ, that he is our example and our pattern, we should not compromise things like um, marriage and our beliefs on what marriage is, that marriage is to be for life, that when Jesus said that in the beginning it was not so, but, but God actually established that a man shall take a woman and they shall be one. And what God is joined, let not men separate. Like when we just say the things that we see in Scripture, um, sometimes there can be some negative negative reactions to that. Well, that can cause us to want to compromise our beliefs. So we shouldn't do that. Last night, what we noticed is that changed lives of believers lead to more people finding salvation. So we need to live our life in a certain way where we're not afraid, where we have, we have a hope that cannot be shaken, and that we're just trying to shine our lights. And if we dim that, then we are presenting people with a false light. It's not the real thing. Um, have you ever walked into a room that you thought was really well lit and it looked like beautiful candles and you pick them up and realize they're fake? Um, I didn't know that was a thing until, uh, well, until I got married. And then, you know, I was like, oh, wow, these things are not real. I, I didn't even know that. I just assumed that candles, then I walked into like a, a wedding or whatever it was, a shower. It was like, I assumed they were all real, but they're not. It's a little bit of a letdown for me, if I'm being honest. Because I kind of want to play with the fire, but that, that's a separate thing. For, but for, for us as Christians, like, we cannot, nor should we ever, dim our light, have a fake light, and say, this is Christ. No. We need to just try our best to say, no, this is what Christ is, and not lessen the reality of who he is. The second thing that we should not do is we shouldn't be the ones that are instigators, and we should not be people that are arrogant. Who were who the instigators in Acts 19? It wasn't the Christians. I know Paul said that gods made with hands are not gods. But you know what he didn't do is he didn't go looking for a fight. He wasn't trying to stir people up to come at him so that he could say, well, hey, hey, you know, the people who were the ones that are run out are usually the ones that are in the right, you know. He wasn't trying to do that, but we do that sometimes. And we need to be careful not to do that. And we need to be careful that we're not arrogant, that we're not saying things that, that, subtly or not so subtly just make us seem like, man, we just know something and y'all are just fools. Um, 
But what we really need to do is we need to have compassion on these people that maybe don't know things that are true. We need to love them. You know, um, one of the songs that we sang, uh, and we all, we all sang, I really appreciate the singing tonight. Thank you, Brother Huggins. But um, that first song especially was just really, really booming, and I appreciate that. But one of the songs we, we sang, one of the lines said, I, something like, I know my neighbors, I love every one of them. Did that stand out to you? It did to me. I thought, well, I don't know all of my neighbors, and I don't know if I'd say I love them. But when we sing some things like that, that should convict us and say, I, I ought to love them. I know we disagree. I know I feel like they hate me, and I'm tempted to not like them. I won't say I hate them. I'm tempted to not like them because they're just, they have such vitriol against what I think is true, and they're, they're uh, professing things and proclaiming things that I think is just damaging to people, especially kids and stuff. Well, we just sang just a little bit ago that we love all of our neighbors. Let's live that out. We shouldn't be arrogant. We shouldn't be instigating, trying to start fights. Christ was offensive without trying to make people mad. He was offensive just because he said what was true. And I don't think he did it in a smug way. And we should be like him. We shouldn't be picking a fight. We shouldn't be people to instigate. We should just be trying to live out his truth. And when we have opportunities to say what's true, we just say it. I'll tell you, the world that we live in um, is actually a really confused world. I'm going to tell you about two people real quick before we go to how we should be uh, preparing for discouragement. There's a, there's a teenage girl that I, I've been able to get to know um, in the last uh, year. And in a, uh, in a conversation, she said something that was really striking. The conversation was about revelation and how what, what um, John is doing, what God is doing through John, is trying to prepare the Christians for persecution. And you know what she said? She said, Christians aren't persecuted today. And, and that, that, that's said a lot, and, and we say, well, yeah, that's probably true. They're not persecuted, at least with the way we know persecution in the Bible. We don't see that around us, but side note, it happens in other places. Christians truly are still killed today for their beliefs. Um, we just might not see it around us. But what she went on to say is we said Christians are doing the persecuting. Now, let me give you a little bit of uh, backstory because I can see a lot of confused looks on that. This is a very troubled person struggles with a lot of things, is not able to really think clearly, is not really able to process things. Um, she doesn't know what Christianity really is about. She doesn't understand, nor can she, it seems, comprehend what it means to be a Christian. So she's kind of working from a deficit when it comes to that. But, but she, sa she said that, and, and that was corrected, and it was like, no, that's not true, you know? But that's the world we live in. I say that just to let you know that's where we live in. People truly believe that Christians aren't persecuted. Christians are doing the persecuting just by saying things that they believe are true. That's the world we live in today, okay? Another thing that, uh, that I, happened recently was I was in a conversation with, with someone who um, is older than a teenager. Uh, I want to be very careful with how I talk about age uh, these days. Um, very, so, and she has a, a tainted view of life as well and, and on Christianity, has a real lack of understanding um, about the Bible and about Christ and about Christianity. But, you know, she said, you know, I, I don't see any evidence of God in my life. I don't see any evidence of God. In fact, I think that the world we live in today, I think it's hell. And I was like, well, it's definitely not, you know. If you think this is, no, it's, it's not. She's like, no, I, I think it is. And um, I, I asked her, I said, well, 
You ever had someone say something kind to you that just lifted your spirits a little bit? You ever have someone that actually gave you reason to hope and trust, even though a lot of other people don't and they've misused you, you know, abused you even? She said, well, yeah, actually, the other day I had something. I said, all right, there you go. You can't, you can't say that this world has no signs of God, okay? Because there might be a lot of people saying a lot of things. There might be a lot of people that misuse you, that you can't trust. They say, don't worry, I got your back, and then they bail on you. But, but there's some signs. There's some signs that there are some people you can trust. There's some people trying to live godly lives out there. They're going to say kind things. They're going to try to lift you up and encourage you. But when you just focus on all this negative stuff, then yeah, you're going to think, I don't see any signs of God. Um, she's also someone that, again, just has a tainted view on life. So there are other examples to give. But just when you think of people, our world today says Christians are the cause for the, the problems in the world. And our world today says there no, there's no sign of God in people today. Well, Christians, let's not, let's not let that perpetuate. That should not be the case. We do live in a dark world. It's been dark ever since sin entered this world. So what should we do? How should we handle ourselves? Here's, here's four things that I think that we need to do to prepare for discouragement and to keep us going so that we aren't brought down low and discourage ourselves. The first thing is that we need to remember that following Jesus allows us to know and to see God. Let's turn over to John chapter 12. So we're going to be in John 12 and 14 for the next little bit. Jesus is preparing his disciples for, for his death. He is trying to make sure that they know what's going to happen and that they have the understanding and the character that they need to have. What he does in these chapters is he also starts preparing them for the helper, the Holy Spirit that would come. So John chapter 12, let's begin in verse 44. By the way, this is right after he said that there's all this unbelief. So it, it says in, um, in John chapter 12, um, it, it says in verse 37, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. You skip down to verse 42. Nevertheless, many even in the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. That's, that's what Jesus is dealing with here. So let's go to verse 44. Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Let's go to John 14. John 14, beginning of verse 6. Jesus says to Thomas, after he said, how can we know where you're going? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. We need to remember that following Jesus allows us to see and know God. So when we encounter discouragement in this world, hey, I've come to Jesus. I'm following him. I believe I, believe I am able to know God through Christ. I believe that in some way in this world, as I am able to take on the character of Christ and try to visualize who he is, I'm, I'm seeing a glimpse of God. And I believe that one day I'm going to see him in his fullness. Don't be discouraged. We're going to see God one day. 
Don't confuse present circumstances with eternal life. Let's go back to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, and we're going to uh, begin where we left off, verse 48. This is after he said, I don't judge him, for I didn't come to the world to judge but to save. He says, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Jesus brought commandments and brought words and a message that was eternal life. So let's go over to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, let's back up a little bit to verse 1. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. By the way, this is right after he said that um, you're all going to forsake me. Peter said, no, I won't. He said, yes, you are. He said, I'm willing to die. I'll, I'll do anything. I'm going to follow you to death. And he said, okay, well, you're going to deny me three times. But then he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? That's an interesting question that, that Jesus asked there. Jesus has said, I'm leaving and I'm sending the helper. God is sending the helper to come after me. But then he also asks this question. He says, you think I'm just going to leave and give you no hope of what's to come? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. We have present circumstances that are less than ideal. We get discouraged, we get down, and sometimes we think, okay, well, if this is going on in my life, obviously God doesn't love me. Don't confuse your present circumstances with the security you have of eternal life if you're in Christ. Or you start seeing the shift in this world and you think, okay, maybe this is a quote-unquote God-forsaken world. No, no, no. Don't, don't, don't let your mind start going on that path. God has promised. God has, has made sure that we have great reason to hope. We have all reason to be confident that, that if we have come to him and if we are following him, that he has prepared a place even for us. The third thing we need to do is we need to trust in Jesus when our heart is troubled. He starts here in chapter 14, says, let not your hearts be troubled, believe in God. You know what's going to conquer our fears and conquer our hearts being troubled? Increased faith. Greater trust. Let's, let's keep going in, in this passage. We, we skipped a couple verses here. Um, so he says in verse 4, You know the way to where I'm going. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. There's something else Philip says they need. Jesus says, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So we are in a position where we have not seen Jesus and his miracles. We have them recorded for us, and apparently those were good enough for us to believe and not, not have our hearts troubled. 
Apparently those things are good enough for us to believe that he has prepared a place for us, that he is the way, that we know the way, that we can follow him, and that we will be with the Father. But we are in a different situation than Philip and Thomas, aren't we? But remember that conversation he had with Thomas after he was raised from the dead? What did Jesus say? Blessed are you because you have seen and you believe. What about those people that don't see? Well, we're blessed too, aren't we? It seems like we're even greater blessed because we believe and we have not seen. We need to trust in Jesus when our heart is troubled. I'm not saying that's easy. I'm not saying that in a flippant way. But that's the call of a disciple. We trust in the one that we're following when our heart's troubled. When our families are broken, when we see people depart the faith, when we see a lot of things going on in our society that maybe even sickens us, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe in Christ, and believe in the one that you're following. Let's go to John chapter 16. This will be our, our, our last point uh, that we'll draw out as far as what we need to do to prepare ourselves for discouragement. John chapter 16. So in, at the end of John 15, he talks a lot about how the world, is, the world hates you. It, just know if it hates you, it's hated me first. Um, I don't know if that's a comforting thing, but it, it should help us be like, okay, well, I'm going to keep following Jesus because it's not just unique to me, I guess. If that's comforting you, then, that's, then that, that's a really good thing. But then what he goes on to say is, I've said these things in verse 1. I've said these things to you to keep you from falling away. He tried to prepare these disciples for hard days, for difficulties, for discouragements, for persecutions. So it would be, it would be well worth our time to go through and to see, how did Jesus try to prepare these disciples? I, I need that too. We're just going to go to a couple of verses to to notice what he says. Let's go down to verse number 16. He says, A little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while and you will see me. You know what Jesus is talking about there? The resurrection. So, so some of his disciples said to, said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, because I am going to the Father? So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do, not what he's we do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you're asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. You know how we prepare for discouragement? We look to the resurrection. It gives us hope and peace. It gives us confidence that can't be taken. It gives us joy that can't be taken away. It ought to. Christ's resurrection is our motivation, our reason to keep going. We need to be people that not only believe that he died on that day, but that three days later, that tomb was found empty. And if we believe that, and if we are confident in that, and we build up our faith based on that, we won't be shaken. I want to go to one other passage, and that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
1 Corinthians 15 is where Paul talks to, or writes to the, the Corinthian brethren and tries to remind them and give them more understanding about the resurrection. It's actually really interesting. If you go down, let's, let's skip down a little bit to verse number 32, and then we'll, we'll back up some. Verse number 32 says, What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with the beast at Ephesus? What do you think he's talking about there? I don't know of a story where Paul wrestled a wolf or a lion or anything like that. I'll tell you what I think he's talking about, and I, I could have the dates wrong on this. I think Paul is talking about Acts 19 when he says that. Or at least there's a chance that he's talking about that. Remember that riot got stirred up. Where was that? That was in Ephesus. Paul battled beasts at Ephesus. All right, let's back up in 1 Corinthians 15 to verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then in his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. If I'm very honest with you, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that I think one of the things that I lack when I am thinking about all that's going on in the world is a perspective that Christ was raised from the dead, and one day all of this is going to be gone, and those that are faithful in Christ will, will rise to meet him. Sometimes I lose sight of the resurrection. And that causes me to be really discouraged. Because I look around and I see a lot of reasons to be discouraged. I think of personal loss. I think of missed opportunities. I think of all these things that have happened. And I just think, oh, this is hard. Well, when we feel like that, we've lost sight of the resurrection. Because what Christ would say is that you will have sorrow now, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. And no one can take that joy from you. As disciples today, we need to be prepared for discouragement, but the way we be prepared isn't to take up arms, it's not to like, be ready to battle people out, it's actually to set our focus on Christ and just long for His coming. And if we do that, we'll not only be prepared, but our influence will be infectious to people. People will see that. I, I, I've heard uh, of situations where someone's like, says to a, a Christian, how are you so peaceful? or something like that. I've never had anyone ask me that. I don't know what, what I'm doing this wrong, but um, I think if we did that, if we lived our lives this way, people would be asking those questions. How come you don't get so mad in conversations? I know you disagree. Why don't you, like, I know you know facts. Why don't you just, like, start spitting out facts and statistics and even Bible verses and just, like, why don't you do that? Why, why aren't you just putting these people to shame with your understanding and knowledge? Well, because I'm just setting my focus on Christ coming back. One of the other songs we, we sang tonight, I thought this was just really helpful, so I'm going to read this, and then the invitation will be for anyone that needs to be right with God, whether that means you need to repent and be baptized, or that means you need to confess sin, you need, you need help and forgiveness from this group. The fourth verse of the first song that we sang, which... We really, I mean, it was, we were really singing out. It's so encouraging. It said, who will follow Jesus in his work of love, leading others to him, lifting prayers above? Courage, faithful servant. 
in his word we see on our side forever will the Savior be. That needs to be us. Let's live prayers above. Let's lead other peoples to him. Let's be working his work of love. And let's have courage, faithful servants. Because we know Christ is on our side and we'll see him one day. If you need to respond to the invitation, you need prayers from this congregation, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.